Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Good. All right, cool. All right. Well, Stan, thanks for coming on, man. It was, uh, I'll tell you, it was, uh, let me tell you, because I had no idea who the hell you were. And somebody, it was about three years ago, said, or two or three years ago, somebody said, you got to check out Rhino Rants. And I, and I looked on a video and I saw you in your car screaming about how, you know, you should be eating red meat and, and not a bunch of chicken and, and all that stuff. And I said, wait a minute, he gets it. And so I thought <laughs> that was really cool. So I've been kind of following your stuff for a while. And as you know, I've been kind of this crazy carnivore diet guy. And I get a lot of people that tell me, you know, carnivore is good, but the vertical diet's where it's at. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of uh, truth to that. I think, you know, like I said, the people you work with, and again, there's, there's, there's an overlap between who we're talking to and you, you again are dealing with, you know, just not even people you're, you're dealing with some other species a lot of times when you, you know, like you've got Thor and Brian Shaw and, you know, half Thor and Brian Shaw and those guys eating, you know, based a bunch of meat and monster mash and all that stuff. So I think this is great. I think we've got so much overlap here and I think there's such uh, knowledge that, that uh, we had. And I know you and I, I met you up at Mark Bell's, uh, little super training classic and we had a great I, I could have talked to you for like five hours Stan I really do but when we you know I had to get on the road but it's but anyway just want to say that and I really uh appreciate what you've been doing out there and I enjoy seeing your stuff and uh anyway anyway that's enough of that <laughs> yeah well no thank you and I you know like I told you up there you've been the battering ram for uh, the kind of information that I've been quietly trying to share with my direct clients for years uh, the hurdle has always been all these preconceived notions and, and bad information and poor research and, uh, you know, much of it influenced by uh, food politics, money, and, and the like, industries. And uh, so, you know, I've, I've kind of cocooned myself for many, many years. If a parent asked me about nutrition for their child, uh, I was real cautious about introducing the idea of red meat and eggs and whole milk. Uh, because of all of the bad press around it. And finally now in the last, you know, I think probably only six or seven years, um, have we seen, uh, you know, enough solid science uh, to combat the bad information that's out there. And you've been one of the more bold people that's out there actually fighting against the um, the dogma, the, the activism, the, the politics, the uh, you know, the organizations that are trying to force you to, to comply with their ethical uh, behaviors and, and using nutrition and, and, you know, health outcomes as really a disguise. Uh, and even, uh, you know, more recently, the environment as a disguise really to force you to eat the way that they want you to eat. And I, I think that what you're doing is remarkable and has afforded me a sliver of opportunity to, to put my nutrition program out publicly, uh, which historically I'd only used it with my clients for that very reason, because uh, fear of retribution, uh, you know, as many people have, have experienced, you yourself uh, most noticeably, 
And, uh, you know, since I shared it about a year ago, we've now had over, uh, over 50,000 people uh, utilizing this diet program and with great success. And it, it just, you know, allows me an opportunity, I think, to, uh, to swim in this ocean now that you've, you know, again, forged this, this uh, you know, you and, and, and other, you know, I think Nina Teicholz obviously has done a very good job. Dr. Peter Atia has written about, uh, you know, these things that uh, we seem to overcome now some of the, the dogma associated with cholesterol, with cancer, with um, uh, saturated fats uh, to, a, to a significant degree. Uh, so, you know, without belaboring the point, thank you for what you've done. Well, Stan, you're welcome. And it's good to, it's good to be able to point to people as examples because, I, you know, you can't, one person can't do it all. But just for people that don't know who you are, because we got a lot of doctors and, you know, just kind of regular Joes that may not be, you know, tuned into bodybuilding and strength sports. You are the world's strongest bodybuilder. And I mean, you're still, and you're, you're, you're right at about 50 right now, if I'm not mistaken, Stan. And you're still this, I mean, going strong. I mean, you know, I'm pretty strong, you know, but you just, I mean, you're on another level from, from where I'm at. And um, I know we, you know, I was at the powerlifting contest. And it, was fun to, it was fun to have you as a head judge there, judging my deadlift. Um, I could have got a lot more, by the way. I was just kind of messing around. But, but, but um, you know, but for people that don't know your background, give us a little synopsis of who Stan uh, Efforting is. And then I want you to know, in case you don't know who Zach is, Zach is on the polar opposite of you when it comes to athletics. Is he's the 100-mile endurance run world record holder. And so it's yeah. cool to get these record holders in here chatting between each other and see what comes out. Well, I think there's, I think there's a lot of common ground for us. Uh, actually, we'll talk more about that as we go. But with respect to me, you know, this has been a passion all my life. Uh, I earned a Bachelor of Science in psychology, of all things, in college. Uh, but I was really interested in training. I was a 140-pound kid when I got to college. And uh, when I earned my degree, I went to my advisor and said I wanted to get an MSW, a Master's in Social Work. And she said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I want to advise people about drug addiction. I had grown up in a, a drug-addicted home. Uh, my mom had been an addict all her life and still is, unfortunately, in and out of mental institutions and the like. So uh, she said, have you ever been addicted to anything? And I said, no. And she said, well, how are you going to counsel people on drug addiction? And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. She, so, so she asked me what I enjoyed doing, what I liked doing, and, and I thought that was pretty forward-looking of her 30 years ago to, to consider that. Uh, it's more common now, of course, to pursue your passion. But I had taken a lot of courses uh, in um, you know, health and nutrition. And so I re-enrolled in exercise science at the University of Oregon. I spent two more years there studying. You know, I dissected cadavers for a year, and I studied physiology and biology and kinesiology and uh, you know, anatomy, phys, chemistry. Uh, physics, calculus, uh, you know, I pers uh, math was always an easy thing with me because my dad's an engineer. He was head of the uh, Dittmer Control Center at Bonneville, their nuclear power plant. So, uh, and I studied statistics, which I think gave me a really good background for all of this research that I've been reading for the last 30 years. And I sat up in the science library till midnight and they kicked me out scrolling through microfiche, just looking at, at, at research on proteins, carbs, uh, you know, fats. Of course, so this has just been a passion of mine all my life. Of course, I had to get a job because I was paying for my own college and eventually you run out of money. And uh, I, I just, I, I 
worked very hard for many years and I, I used bodybuilding and powerlifting as a, as a hobby, as a passion, as a sports pursuit, became a pro bodybuilder, world record powerlifter. That took many, many, many years. Uh, and I was very successful in business. I built uh, now my fifth multi-million dollar company since uh, I started business when I was about 35. Built a um, telecommunications company into a very successful uh, multi-million dollar company, an engineering firm. I bought, built, converted and sold and managed over $60 million in, in uh, single family, multi-family commercial real estate. Um, and uh, now I own a couple of uh, uh, medical marijuana clinics. I owned a successful engineering firm. And, uh, and now with the advent of the cooler and the vertical diet and the vertical meals, the, the meal prep company, we've exceeded um, $2 million in earnings in the last gross revenues in the last year, uh, running our, our vertical network, uh, you know, combination of meals and diets and, and the like, the, the home meals. So been a passion all my life. I've dieted uh, both to get down to 4% body fat to compete as a professional bodybuilder and gained weight to go from 140 pounds to over in 1985 to over 300 pounds in 1995 and then continued to do that throughout my career. I would, I would bulk up to get as big and strong as possible and then I would shred down to get as ripped and uh, conditioned as possible for bodybuilding and I did that back and forth and back and forth for better than two decades uh, at a very high level and so uh, you, obviously you use nutrition and exercise primarily as a as a vehicle and you learn a lot along the way. And I made a lot of mistakes uh, because we didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have all the great researchers and information that's here now. And God bless all of these uh, you know, PhDs and MDs uh, like yourselves and many others that have applied their research to this industry to provide us so much great information. Uh, I must say that, that the vast majority of I learned by trial and error <laughs> over the years. And uh, you know, a lot of it's been um, done before. None of what I've accomplished has been uh, anything I've invented or created. It's, uh, and I just, I bolster the efficacy of it now with the research, everything that I write in the vertical diet. I've got over a hundred references to articles and videos and scientific, uh, you know, published peer reviewed research so that everything that comes out of my mouth, I try and provide a, an asterisk and a reference to it, uh, you know, the nature of the industry is now that if you don't, then you're, you're all bro science. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of where I came from and where I'm at. This is a passion of mine. And now that I'm helping other athletes, uh, you know, I, I, I find it to be, I think it's a responsibility. You owe it to yourself and your clients to, uh, to try and gather all of the latest information and give them good information. Obviously I've been quite successful at it with myself and my clients. And so, uh, I'm just really passionate about it. I'm excited about all the new stuff that's coming in. And, and even when we're arguing with each other, I think we're generally picking away at the edges. We're down in the minutia and the weeds. And I think there's a lot more that we agree upon now than we did, uh, you know, just even five or 10 years ago. But for those folks who, the zealots who have a, a particular agenda to, to drive, in which case, um, you know, there's really no sense wasting your time with that. Stan, I, 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 a couple, couple things you said that really are, I think, important to highlight. One is, you know, you talk about results, you know, and, and again, at the end of the day, there's a lot of research out there and you can really paint an argument. I mean, the plant-based plant advocates are very good at using research to paint an argument in their favor. So you can go through and come up with almost any diet or exercise program and you can find resources to sort of help 
bolster your argument. It's called cherry picking. We all do it. We're all aware of it. It happens. But sure. at the end of the day, it's the results that drive the train. And, you know, you got to put up or shut up. And, and, and one thing I like about the bodybuilding community when it comes to, and, and you, you, you can talk about drugs and all that stuff, but, you know, obviously that's part of that. But at the same time, if you want to get lean, talk to the best people in the, in the planet that know how to do that. If you want to put on muscle, talk to the best people on the planet that know how to do that. And then the rest of it is just, you know, maybe we can find some research to support why this works. And I see the same thing in the health community. Again, I'm a physician and my, you know, eat while I'm a meathead and I like to lift and train and do sports and stuff like that. I have an interest in that, but at the basis, I like to see patients get better. And so when I see so many people adopting a, uh, you know, a saturated fat's going to kill you, red meat is evil, a lot of eggs and all that stuff diet, and they get good results. I have to say, wait a minute, maybe we didn't know it all. Maybe there was something that, that we, we thought we knew that it's not actually the case. And so I really like that idea uh, of about results driving where we should go rather than starting with a dogma and trying to prove that dogma all the time. And it's, it's refreshing to see with the rise of social media, so many people sharing results. And I think it's very exciting to me. And I think, you know, we're all part of this community and, and uh, you know, I just don't think it's going to, I think it's going to continue to grow. And I think there are, like I said, unfortunately there are people that make money off of sick people that are apathetic and, 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 and don't care. And, and they want to hold on to that market. And I think, you know, when we got people on the vertical diet or the carnivore diet or the keto diet, or even a plant-based diet, if it works, there's a lot of people that don't like that. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on, on pushback from, are you getting any pushback on this stuff? Uh, you know, only from the most extreme activism, uh, activist folks, uh, you know, that'll make videos. And they're, they're just, here's the thing. And with, with, specifically with respect to uh, the vegan community, because that, that seems to be the only community that, that's really, uh, you know, ardently uh, or pursuing an activism, and it, only some of them. And, and you have to ask yourself, what's your why? When I, and I, deal, I have vegan clients and I have vegetarian clients. And uh, my goal is to, get, is, to, is to get them to reach their goals in, in you know, as healthy as, uh, as we can. I start with general health just like I do with the rest of my clients. But I have to ask them right up front, what's your why? Now, if it's an ethical consideration for you, um, uh, believing that an animal is a sentient being and, and therefore you're, you're not gonna consume one, then I understand from the, out, from the onset that, that I need to respect that and provide them the information that will allow them to, to be healthy within uh, their beliefs. And I, I, there's a host of things I do for them, improving digestion potentially with, um, you know, HCL pepsin, because that seems to be one of the, the hardest things about absorbing micronutrients, minerals, and, uh, and fat-soluble vitamins in particular. I, uh, you know, another thing that I'll do with those folks is uh, try and get them the highest quality protein I can, the most leucine and the dosage that's necessary. Um, and oftentimes that, you know, it requires a, a, a soy isolate or a, a you know, a, a pea protein. Fortunately, there's some good supplements now that do have adequate leucine per serving. But within the, you know, within their, their decision-making process, I, I need to respect that. If it's a health decision, if they come to me and say, well, I'm, I'm eating vegan or vegetarian because it's, it's good for my health because, uh, you know, I heard red meat causes cancer. I heard it, uh, you know, saturated fat's going to give you heart disease. Then I, I, I feel as though there's, I don't want to call it an opportunity, but I, I think there's an obligation on my part to at least give them, you know, additional information and help them understand, um, you know, maybe provide them some of the research and uh, help them overcome some of their, their potential biases or influences. 
uh, a few really poor influences, of course, are What the Health, which is just a, a horrible example of a, a movie that's, that's, that's all propaganda, uh, which has been, you know, roundly discredited even by the vegan community. Uh, and, and then there's the China study, which often gets, you know, uh, blurted out. And I realized that 99.9% of people who, who say the China study never read it. Uh, they probably don't even realize it's over 800. It's not even a study. It's the title of a book. And it's, you know, I think it's in excess of 800 pages of just a compilation of cherry-picked epidemiological research. So, uh, and so I can provide them, uh, you know, Denise Minger's, uh, you know, very detailed analysis of that if they're so interested. But only in so much as I don't want them to demonize foods unnecessarily. I'm cautious about that. And, and, and yes, there are some foods that I come out against. And I understand that, that uh, people with different diets, um, you know, don't eat certain things because they have opposition to, to certain foods. Um, and, you know, some people may view that as restrictive. I view it as selective. And, and uh, some people may view that as a, as a, as a, uh, um, as some sort of a uh, elimination diet, I look at it as a kind of an optimization diet. And I have to start from a point of, of, of health first. And so, uh, so yes, I will, when I work with vegetarians and vegans, um, you know, ask them what's their why. Is it an ethical concern or is it a health concern based on accurate or inaccurate information? And then, you know, I endeavor to try and help them reach their goals, you know, and, and it's kind of a collaboration. Are you willing to try this or that? And I'll explain why. You know, there's a reason why I select all the foods I select. Uh, I explain it to them and provide them the research. And then we, from there, we just monitor. And, and that's the biggest thing about any diet that you get on is that you want to see how you respond to it because everybody's different. And so I have to monitor them and, and ask them questions ongoing. And how does that feel? How's your energy levels? How's your strength? Uh, are you gaining or losing weight? Is it primarily body fat or... Uh, you know, all of those things, how's your digestion, you know, how's your stool, your regularity, all of those things become really important in terms of fine tuning a diet for an individual, because, uh, you know, everybody's different, everybody is an individual. So I don't mean to blather on, but that's uh, <laughs> kind of a, where, where I, where, how I look at that. Stan, yeah. we, want you, we want you to blather on because that's what we have you on the show, man. <laughs> hey, Zach, why don't you jump in there and then I, I got a ton of stuff I want to ask Stan, sure. so I'll let you get in there and what, pick out and what you want to ask. Yeah, no, Stan, you highlighted it like perfectly when you gave us kind of your background, because I think a lot of times like people will wonder where my interest is in like the bodybuilding and powerlifting community, because I'm clearly not a bodybuilder, <laughs> but uh, um, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's just off the top of my head, a few things that I see that are just like really parallel lines between extreme endurance and bodybuilding and powerlifting is just like the amount of time and patience that's required to get from where you start to where you actually want to be. And it, I find it really interesting. Like every time you'll have someone in the endurance community, they'll nail a race and everyone wants to know what they did in their training block. And, and that's important to look at what they did, but ultimately like I want to know what they've done the last 10 years. I want to know where they started and what they did and what they've been building off of where all that foundation is from. And when you said like you were 140 pounds at one point in your life, like, anyone who looks at a picture of you would have a hard time believing that. So it's like, yeah, uh, that was in college. I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that wasn't when I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really interesting to me because like the answer to how you got to where you are today is essentially one pound at a time and over years and years of one pound at a time. And then 
you know, I don't think sometimes people don't really, I think, look at that entire picture. And I think that parallel runs. And the other one that always sticks out to me too, is just extreme attention to detail in nutrition. Uh, something that's really unique about folks who are trying to get as lean as the human body can possibly get, or as strong as the human body can possibly get. And then someone who's trying to run or as far or as fast or whatever, is that like you really become finely tuned into when you feel bad, when you feel good, and when you feel great. And the margin between bad and great might be super tiny. So just the amount of experience and like just N equals one tweaking that you do to kind of get that and being able to have that body of work to be able to listen to your body that acutely is something that's very unique amongst both those kind of environments. Yeah, you know, you hit the nail on the head and it's true in anything. It's true with your cardiovascular health. It's true with maintaining lean muscle mass. It's true with dieting to lose body fat. It's true in business. It's true in anything that compliance is the science. And you're only going to be as successful as your ability to be consistent. Um, you know, I, I've said before in a rant that, you know, what's the best diet? And it's the one you'll follow. And that all diets work when they're strictly adhered to. And the good news of that is, is that six out of seven people who embark on a diet lose weight, the vast majority of them. The bad news is, is that 95% of them gain it back within three years. And the reason being is, is they fail to comply. And so the diet, I think, first and foremost, before you start going down into which diet, uh, I think the general rule that we all need to follow is that, that the best diet's the one they'll follow. So in terms of compliance, the diet needs to be simple, sensible, and sustainable. And uh, it has to be a lifestyle. And we as athletes understand that, that uh, you know, our lifestyle is that every single day, like you said, with a attention to detail, almost in a, a OCD style fashion, is to compete, continue to repeat the same behaviors that, that yield us success. We double down on those. Successful athletes do. Uh, it's the 10,000 hour rule, you know, the great piano player, the great chess player. You just have to consistently repeat the behaviors that, that give you the best results. Uh, so I don't define a diet necessarily as, as um, you know, something that you go on, uh, you know, a goal with a finish line. I, I, design, or I, I define it as the foods that you eat. Uh, that to me is your diet. And in so much as you can comply, I think that's the most success or most important factor. And the big thing about that is with any diet is I think it's bigger than the food itself. I think uh, as with, athletics and you understand it's about behavior modification so it's much more complicated than food we're arguing at great length amongst ourselves about these different diets and i i sell a diet you know i'm certainly uh, not immune to to promoting my diet but i think we all fall under the same umbrella of rules that are bigger than us in our diets uh, obviously compliance and the like uh, but the behavior modification is what's really, really important. And of course, I'm going to say that because uh, of my psychology degree, um, when you have a, a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So uh, I think that it becomes about trying to help people modify their behaviors and, and be compliant with their diets. Um, you know, I've said before that in the war on obesity, you're at war with yourself. The enemy is also the victim. And so I think that once you have to identify that your client 
you, you can't wedge everybody into a, a specific, uh, uh, you know, plan, whether it be the vertical diet or carnivore or what have you. Uh, you kind of, I ask them, I send out a questionnaire and I ask in great detail uh, what kinds of foods that they like to eat, what foods, you know, that, that don't agree with them, what helps them perform, what their schedule looks like, you know, when they like to eat, where they like to eat, all of those things are important. Uh, and I know we argue a lot about these details, but I, I think that we should all take a step back and understand that, that as, a, as a whole, historically and currently, uh, both politically, whether you're talking about the McGovern Commission, uh, uh, in terms of the, the health organizations, whether you're talking about the American Heart Association or others, uh, we're losing this battle miserably. And we have been since the 1950s and, and still currently in terms of the obesity rates, the, the recidivism. Uh, so nobody has the, the smoking gun, the, the, you know, I would never claim that the vertical diet was the solution. Uh, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than any single diet. And so I'm hoping that when the smoke clears and, and everybody that's in here fighting amongst each other uh, reminds me of that uh, um, cartoon. I think, Sean, you might remember this because you're old enough like me. Uh, it was the black ants and the red ants were fighting over a cake. And when the generals got on top of the cake, they were drawing the line to separate the cake in half, but they were each trying to include the cherry on their side. And ultimately, they, they started a big battle over the cherry and, and forgot about the cake. And the picnickers came back and took the cake. And so uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that I think that, that we're forgetting to keep an eye on the cake. We're over here fighting about uh, the cherry. We're fighting about uh, the insulin hypothesis, and we're fighting about, um, you know, carbs versus fats, and uh, we're fighting about intermittent fasting, and we're fighting about, you know, a whole host of other, uh, what seems to me to be insignificant issues as compared to uh, the larger goal, which is to reduce obesity. And for this reason, and I'll, and I'll, I'll give it back to you, uh, twofold. One, one thing we know for sure and can all agree on is that uh, there's a perfect linear relationship between the, obesity, the increase in obesity since the 1930s or 50s, however you want to look at it, and the increase in calorie consumption. That's indisputable. We've seen meat consumption go down. We've seen sugar consumption go down, at least since the 90s. Uh, I'll toss in that we've seen uh, vegetable oils go up at, at the same rate. But even aside from that, just looking at calories in general, uh, that's the one thing that consistently uh, we've seen go up and, and probably is the root cause without uh, commencing into an argument about the calorie equation versus the insulin hypothesis. But just the fact of the matter is, is that everybody who's trying to uh, work with a client to help them with weight loss uh, needs to, to take a good look at how much we're consuming. There's no all you can eat diet. I don't care whose it is, not the vertical, not the carnivore, not paleo, not to, um, you know, any of them, and uh, ketosis, all of that. And here's why that's important, because regardless of how you lose weight, I talked about this in my rant about the McDonald's diet, where I said that, that you know, it's been shown many times that when you lose weight, almost irrespective of what diet you're on, and, the, you know, of course, the caveat to that is, is that you aren't creating any horrendous nutrient deficiencies, but, uh, you know, the the studies that have been done shown that when you lose weight in the McDonald's diet was one demonstration. There was a 7-Eleven diet, an ice cream diet, a potato diet. When you lose weight, 
up to 95 plus percent of all of the health benefits that, that, that are realized, and that includes decrease in blood pressure, decrease in blood sugars, decrease in cholesterol, are realized simply as a matter of losing weight, no matter how you lost it. And there's plenty of examples for people who have lost weight many, many different ways and have realized an improvement in, uh, in their blood markers and general health. Now, long-term, what are the diets that are most compliant? What are the diets that are least likely to contribute to you know, the manifestation of some sort of, um, uh, of nutrient deficiency? That, those can, all those things can be discussed. But uh, I think first and foremost, we're losing the battle of weight loss, which is the primary driver of, of poor health outcomes and, and mortality and, and increased uh, uh, all-cause mortality. So that's my rant. It's a good rant and amen to that, Stan. And, and, I, and I've, I've said, you know, I was on Mark's show and, and Lane Norton and I kind of got into a quote-unquote debate, although we agreed on a lot, a lot of what we talked about. It was kind of the, you know, we were fighting over the cherry, as you, as you like to point out, instead of missing the cake. And I do agree that, in my view, the calories, you cannot ignore that. I do feel that, you know, a higher protein diet may allow you to eat a little bit more, and you probably may, may see that as well. But, um, you know, the thing that I think is also very important – and you pointed this out too, you know, if you can maintain the weight loss, uh, and, and I will be honest, I have seen people that have gotten benefits on a particular diet that were already thin to begin with, and, and they improve mental health outlook. And I think that has to do with some new nutrition outside of calories. I mean, calories are a nutrient, but there's also, as you know, as you're well aware of, there are a lot of nutrients that go into nutrition. And I think getting the essential fats and so on and so forth also have a benefit outside of the weight loss parameter. But let me I'm never going to be, I, I've been lifting my whole life and I'm never going to be a bodybuilder. I got these monkey long arms. I got no, you know, no genetics. Whatsoever. I've never even thought about bodybuilding, you know, but I mean, I like to be halfway lean and, you know, not, not be a fat slob and stuff like that. But when I was lifting and through my years, I, you know, I trained with a lot of bodybuilders. A lot of my training partners did that stuff, you know, and I mean, their diet, you know, was a lot of times it was a chicken breast and the broccoli diet, you know, the traditional sort of bodybuilding diet. And you've been, very much in favor of, you know, red meat and saturated fat. And, and can you talk, discuss why you have that, that dichotomy occurs? Because, you know, there's still a lot of bodybuilders out that are still on the chicken breast broccoli diet. And, and that's not what you do, or at least, at least that's my impression. And that's been around forever. Um, you know, I inherited that concept when in 1985, when I walked into the first Gold's gym in, in college, and the guy behind the counter was eating tuna fish and rice cakes, I thought. And he was a bodybuilder getting ready for a show. I thought, oh, that's a bodybuilder's diet. So I started eating tuna fish and rice cakes. You learn after a while that, that um, you do need to maintain a calorie surplus to add a significant amount of muscle. Uh, and that's kind of hard to do on those very, very lean foods. That's, that's one consideration. And over time, uh, and again, this is kind of a hard, hard to paint with a broad brush because you got women that are dieting for shows and you got men that are trying to bulk up. And of course, then you have power lifters and strong men and the like. Uh, but generally speaking, I started seeing the benefits of the micronutrient profiles beyond the macronutrient requirements. Uh, certainly any animal protein is going to have an adequate amount of leucine and a 40 gram dose uh, to give you maximum um, muscle protein synthesis. And uh, depending on age, of course, and, and, and the like. And uh, just as a general rule. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that protein source has any additional benefits. And those additional benefits are all the many things like um, 
uh, you know, zinc, uh, iron, B12 that you find in red meat that you don't find in nearly the, uh, an equivalent dose in uh, chicken, which is even more important for women, particularly who are dieting. Uh, because of the menstrual period and because of their uh, uh, propensity to be deficient in iron. It's one of the primary deficiencies that you see in female athletes, that and B12, and then they start to lose energy. And then, uh, you know, from there they end up in the, uh, in the doctor's office getting injections of iron and B12 and D3. So just because they pulled it out of their diet for, for no other reason than uh, it can't be explained by their coach, but for the fact that Somebody else did it before them, I guess. But um, the same is true in terms of egg yolks. They eat a ton of egg whites, uh, women do in particular, and they um, will throw in a scoop of peanut butter, which is A, not even a good fat or a good protein. It's a high in uh, omega-6s, and it's not a complete protein. So I don't understand the replacement value of it. But then you've got those women now, they're deficient, in, they're, they're not getting the choline, they're not getting the biotin. For their skin, hair, and nails. You start seeing their hair fall out and they wonder why. Um, you know, the K2 uh, for, you know, decalcification of the arteries. Those things are all really critical. Uh, they eliminate fruit. And when they're on a, a muscle meat diet like chicken and excluding uh, carbohydrates, uh, you know, generally speaking, their metabolism starts to slow. And that's true of any calorie deficit. I'm aware of that. Metabolic adaptation. But you can combat to some degree the rate at which that metabolic adaptation occurs and how much the metabolism slows. And I've just found that, that uh, uh, not only because of the extra uh, nutrients for these women who are dieting, uh, that, that helps stimulate their metabolism. And uh, we've compensated for that in, in the bodybuilding fitness figure physique industry by tossing in thyroid medication. They depress their thyroid with a poor diet and inadequate sleep and then take thyroid medication. It, it's maddening to me. Uh, and then clomuterol because their metabolism slowed. Uh, and that gets you to the show. The day after or the week after the show, your metabolism is crushed. Your nutrient deficiencies have manifested into some uh, sort of, uh, of pathology that, that, that you, know, you end up in the hospital. And that's what I started seeing over and over again. I'm talking since the, the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, and the same behaviors, I thought when the internet, advent of the internet with all these new trainers and all this new information that this, this would start to improve. It's gotten worse. People have doubled down because more and more people are participating and they tend to have the same old photocopied diets. Um, and the information's out there and it's clear. Uh, and fortunately, there are some good people such as Lane Norton who who recognizes the, these, these deficiencies and that people are, are uh, wrecking their metabolisms and have you know, tried to remedy that situation with reverse dieting, including more micronutrients. Uh, so, you know, to the original question as, as to why I decided to eat red meat and eggs and milk is generally for the micronutrients, the iron, the B12, the, the zinc, the choline, the biotin, um, the uh, calcium, uh, all of those things, I think, are, are necessary in a diet. The potassium, that's why I throw uh, you know, salmon at least twice a week into the diet. And I, I generally supplement uh, krill oil as well because uh, of the mercury buildup with too much salmon. But um, there's you know, 100 milligrams of potassium in every ounce of salmon that you eat, and in red meat, for that matter. And you need 4,700 milligrams a day. And so what I found is, is that, that when I dieted overly restrictive, egg whites, broccoli, chicken breast, uh, I became very tired and very hungry. 
when I utilized red meats and I kept a yolk in and I had a little bit of fruit and I made sure to get adequate potassium, uh, I wasn't, and, and sodium was another huge component. I wasn't nearly as tired. I wasn't nearly as hungry. I could invest more energy into my training, which is a huge component of maintaining or potentially increasing muscle mass, although hard to do on a diet. And conversely, when I was bulking up, uh, I discovered that when I selected pizza, pasta, and pancakes, uh, that I would uh, end up suffering from uh, metabolic syndrome. Uh, as many people know from watching me, I've had blood tests. I've had over 100 blood tests in the last 12 years. I started getting them in the early 1990s in college. Uh, I noticed that my hemoglobin A1C would elevate. My resting, uh, my fasted blood glucose and insulin levels would elevate. My uh, C-reactive protein would be high from, uh, you know, not only adding fat, uh, which seemed to happen at a greater rate when I was consuming pizza, pasta, and pancakes, as opposed to when I was uh, consuming primarily white rice to drive the calories for extra growth um, and was deficient in, in, you know, nutrients from eating, uh, just uh, uh, not eating enough high quality foods. Uh, and this was the same thing I experienced with Shaw, same thing I experienced with Thor and many, many hundreds of other athletes I've worked with over the years, especially particularly strength athletes who, who uh, you know, gain a lot of weight is that, that just like people who lose a, a lot of weight, you can create uh, very significant health problems for yourself if you aren't focused on the type of nutrients that you're taking in and the rate at which you gain or lose weight and what you're doing to combat either metabolic adaptation or metabolic syndrome, fatty liver disease, um, you know, insulin resistance, et cetera. So it, that's kind of a general overview of why I choose those foods and how it affects athletes and on different ends of the spectrum. Uh, but I, I found it to be extremely effective to, to pay more attention to micronutrients as opposed to just macros. Those are easy to get. Now for a word from our sponsors. Hey folks, thank you for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Uh, we are very excited to have ButcherBox sponsoring the show. Sean, why don't you tell us about some of your experiences? Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, basically mostly just going with their custom boxes. I've been going with uh, ribeyes and uh, New York strip steaks. They're all uh, grass-finished, antibiotic-free, hormone-free. They're actually pretty decently marbled for a grass-finished product. I've been enjoying it. Lately, I've been throwing it on the on the uh, in the sous vide and then reverse searing or then searing it up in a cast iron pan. That's been pretty darn tasty. I've enjoyed it. Uh, the consistency I found on pretty much every single steak has been very high, very good and very high. Uh, flavor's been good, and I really enjoyed it. I think uh, you know, looking around at some of the other competitors and some of the other grass finished products that you might get in the store this is actually a fair bit more economical. And so I think it's a, it's a good value, good quality, and, and, and a very, uh, you know, enjoyable, flavorful uh, way to get your steaks. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Remember, to get your discount and free bacon, type in promo code HPO at the checkout. Now, back to the show. Stan, I've heard you say on a couple of occasions, and I want to, you know, we've had uh, guys, I don't know if you know these guys, guys like Professor Stuart Phillips. Uh, we had... Uh, Professor Jose Antonio on the other day. I think Don Lehman's going to be coming on the show. These are all uh, well-regarded protein re researchers in the world, and many people say the, the world's authority on protein research. And they have gone on the record saying that, you know, it's, it's amino acids that drive muscle protein synthesis. Uh, you know, you, you, particularly things like leucine are, are key to that. Um, they've gone on to say that insulin uh, is permissive for muscle protein synthesis, and it tends to uh, – 
decrease the amount of muscle catabolism. So therefore we have a net, you know, a net muscle building. And so, but they've also said that, you know, you only need a, a sort of baseline level of insulin. You don't have to go way high on your insulin to continue to allow uh, insulin to do its job with regard to preventing muscle catabolism. And so from what I've asked these guys, I say, do you need carbohydrates to, to build muscle? And they say, no, but it may have a performance advantage with regards to refilling glycogen stores. And I certainly don't disagree with that. But my question for you is, you've talked about, you know, maintaining caloric surplus, and it's difficult to do that for many people in the absence of things like rice. I mean, I can eat, you know, I can eat five pounds of red meat. I know I saw Thor the other day putting up some things saying he's eating six ribeyes a day. So obviously they are building their muscle via a lot of meat. And then tell me, where do you see the carbohydrate part of your diet coming in? How does that, what is the advantage of that? Well, it, in a calorie deficit, I only include, let's say, a, a couple pieces of fruit and a potato, mainly for potassium, mainly for the what I uh, have have argued is the uh, the uh, the benefit to the liver in terms of converting um, insulin from T four or uh, thyroid from T four to T three, uh, and and keeping your metabolism. Uh, because I've noticed that particularly in women, their body temperature will lower to such a degree um, on, on most conventional restrictive diets. Uh, you know, typically it's, people think it's 98.6, but generally it's between 97.8 and 98.2. But also, they'll be waking up in the morning with a 97.4, 97.2. And I realize that's a very hard environment just because of, of basal metabolic rate. Uh, it's, you know, how many calories you're going to burn at rest is going to be dictated by your body temperature largely. Um, and so that's kind of the reason I'll, I'll use that to combat many, uh, people that I, that I work with that are dieting, never make it to white rice. They don't need it, right? They can get enough carbohydrates. Uh, generally sodium for me is a better driver of energy, uh, and appetite suppression. Um, at least uh, sodium depletion tends to make people chase carbohydrates that, when they want, when their body wants salt, they just tend to, to think they need carbs. Uh, so I use that as an opportunity to curb um, binging. And uh, the potassium to me is important and they aren't eating enough total calories to get adequate potassium from meat. And so I, that's why I do throw a potato in there. And again, that depends on uh, their, their gut, whether or not they can digest it. I start there, if they have a problem digesting foods, I'm all about taking out everything possible to make sure that, that the first thing I focus on is that they aren't uh, getting bloated and gassy and having uh, acid reflux and having, um, you know, inconsistent uh, stool, that they're regular, um, the quality of the stool. Those things are, are where I start. And I've had many clients with severe IBS and autoimmune symptoms who I don't put a fruit or potato in there initially. I might just feed them ribeye, uh, a yolk or two a piece of salmon, a little bit of bone broth. I uh, might just stick right there to start. And then when, when their digestion improves and their acid reflux goes away, then I can start introducing other, other things. Uh, I don't think that the rice builds muscle. I think that at some point with protein, I, I, you know, I look at the research by Jorn Tromlin, who's a PhD in uh, protein uh, metabolism, and, uh, and his research that was, that was posted by uh, Greg Knuckles on, on Mass Research Review, um, there's a certain amount that, from which you can benefit in terms of muscle protein synthesis. And, um, you know, it seems to be about a gram per pound or 1.2 grams per pound seems to be kind of a general area now that, that some, obviously there's some variation. There's 
but, and then the dosage, uh, you know, you get over 40, 50 grams per meal and you're probably not going to increase muscle protein synthesis to any significant, any additional degree. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, and then of course there's the refractory period. So you can't be eating every two hours and expect to re-stimulate muscle protein synthesis. You need about three to five. Uh, and so I, I kind of base my initial recommendations on those guidelines. Um, and if you need additional calories, sure, you can eat more meats and it will be utilized as calories, but it's either going to be, uh, you know, through gluconeogenesis used as energy or uh, stored as fat. It probably won't uh, provide you additional muscle protein synthesis. Uh, if people are hard gainers, I'm cautious with how much protein I give them because it's satiating. And with the thermic effect of food, it provides fewer net calories and they may need more calories. And I have to be cautious about how much fat I throw at them because uh, it, it too can be satiating and primarily stored just as fat without the potential anabolic benefit. I use that word carefully uh, of say the white rice. So when I get a hard gainer, I will drive white rice more aggressively than, um, than fats or proteins once I've fulfilled the, the requirement because it's a little easier for them to eat more of it and to digest it. Uh, it might provide a bit of an anabolic benefit because uh, it does drive um, more nutrients into the muscle. It's more available for anaerobic training, uh, can draw more sodium and water, uh, creating that, that intracellular pressure. A lot of that, you know, seems to impact hypertrophy uh, or benefit hypertrophy. And, you know, that's kind of the, how I set those folks up. And then with, in terms of like a Shaw or a Thor or even the CrossFit uh, people I work with, Camille LeBlanc, Ben Smith, Becca Foyt, um, I need to fuel two-a-day workouts. And uh, some of those workouts are anaerobic. Uh, ben Smith uh, prefers higher fats when he does longer aerobic events, but he prefers more carbs for anaerobic events. Uh, and so that's another time at which once I've built their foundation, uh, with the potassium and a little bit of fruit and potato and, and the like, uh, I'll drive white rice just to fuel workload. Uh, and it's kind of a, you have to earn your carbs sort of statement, uh, you know, for anybody that wants to eat more carbs, but they have to be a particular type of carb. I can't put uh, a lot of oatmeal or a lot of bread into these athletes, they'll bloat. Um, and I've experienced that certainly, and it tends to have a cumulative effect and, and adversely affect their digestion. So. I'm real cautious with the pizza, pasta, pancakes. I don't think wheat kills you. I'm sure there's some people out there who uh, have celiac disease that, that can't eat it. And there's others who, you know, may claim to have, uh, you know, some sort of intolerance to gluten, although the, that research is questionable as well. But, you know, without arguing about all the details, if it just, if it just uh, fills you up to the point where you can't get adequate uh, you know, nutrients from other foods, then, uh, then I'm going to exclude it. And maybe one cup is fine, but six cups of oatmeal or, you know, 10 cups of brown rice for a, a Hofthor or a Shaw would never work. They tried it in the past. They ate the pizza pants and pasta pancakes. You watched his 10,000 calorie video two years ago. Uh, and one of the things you noticed is how tired he was. And what you didn't hear is that he had horrendous digestion problems, constant diarrhea, uh, and I lived that. I understand it. I've dirty bolts a number of times uh, on those very foods, and I know how it feels. 
And I was no stronger at 305 when I won the world's strongest bodybuilder. And I dirty bulked for that. Even after everything I knew in all those years, um, I got fat as hell for that. I was no stronger than when I was shredded at 274 at the weigh-in for Mark's uh, meet that I did. Um, you know, there was a video of that. And I was had a full six-pack of abs. I was completely shredded, weighing 274 and stronger than when I was 305 fat as hell because it was two completely different diets. On, on Mark's training, it was a lot of steak, probably four pounds a day. Uh, a lot of white rice, a few eggs, you know, all the, the, the essentials, my micronutrients. I like to get a half serving at least or a serving of Greek yogurt in a day. So all the other things I threw in there because I, I felt like they were providing me the micronutrient value that I needed to build that foundation. But, uh, you know, I lived it. I understand it. I feel like uh, that's the reason why I was able to help Thor and Shaw so much is not necessarily just because of the macros, uh, but because I was specific about what type of foods to eat. Uh, so that uh, when you look at them in a recent interview, they talk about the fact that their digestion's better. They're hungry now. Uh, you know, Shaw said to me one time, he says, Stan, I haven't been hungry in years. And he was so surprised that not only was he now regular and not gassed and bloated, but he was hungry to eat his meals. And that can be something just as simple as the way I prepare it. You know, I, I had him grind his top sirloin and eat it as a mash because the, you know, the additional surface area, of course, helped him digest it a little better. And then I used white rice instead of pizza, pasta, pancakes. I used a little bone broth with the mash so that it was a little easier to eat. Uh, and that way he could eat more of it without as much distress on his body because that was a requirement for him was to get adequate calories. And, and then if they needed even more rice, I had them sprinkle, and I know the, the, the keto folks hate me when I say this, but I had them sprinkle dextrose on the rice, just to, not to drive calories, but to increase amylase production. So he was actually able to eat more of it easily. Uh, he and Shaw both, or Thor both, used that as a method. You know, it's, to me, it's about logistics. Uh, it goes back to, you know, what's the best diet, the one you'll follow, compliance is the science. I work a lot with these guys just on trying to make their lives easier and, and help them comply with the diet. Stan, I, I, there's, there's some great points in there, and I want to just highlight a couple of them. And one is your, 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 your appreciation for the fact that a lot of these foods that we are told are quote-unquote healthy are not particularly well-tolerated by our digestive tract. You know, I just got back from this conference where we, we talked all about leaky gut and all the different foods that we we've been told to eat over the years that potentially legumes you know the high lectin foods high oxalate foods which drive leaky gut and we see this bloating and women are particularly particular to this because they've been told eat your salads eat your salads and they bloat up and they feel miserable and that does two things one it makes you not feel particularly good and your training suffers but also you what you pointed out it, it interferes with nutrient absorption to some degree and i think that's an yes. issue the other thing that you pointed out was the need for sodium. And, and again, I see that, uh, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, as we know, carbohydrates will increase insulin. Insulin will cause the kidneys to retain fluid and, and electrolytes, you know, salt particularly. And so if you're not eating the, piece, the pizza, the pasta, the, the pancakes, and driving that huge insulin surges, you may be needing more sodium to, to, to keep that intravascular and intramuscular water, which results, you know, everybody likes to be pumped and you feel better and you perform better when you've got some water in your muscles. And I think that's one of the reasons we've seen uh, those things been utilized before. But, then, but again, the side effects are bloating, inflammation, you know, tiredness and all that fatigue that comes with these tremendous glucose and insulin surges. And so I think that's, 
that's a great thing. And then I think the point, one of the things I like to say, because, you know, you know, I'm the carnivore guy, right? But at the same time, I tell people it's a tool to get you healthier, use it while it works. Many of the people that I'm that follow me are sick people. They've got all these diseases and they're not worried about being, you know, uh, half Thor Bjornsson and deadlifting a thousand pounds or Brian Shaw or 1100 pounds or wherever these guys, you know, I know they're right around there now. They're not the world's strongest man competitors. And so we have a, a little bit of a different uh, uh, target audience. But at the same time, I tell people, figure out your guts. You know, I think red meat is just such a damn good food. Uh, mm. Eat plenty of it, make it the basis of your diet and then see what you tolerate beyond that and see what your training needs are. And I think that works. And, and many people, you know, it's kind of funny. I just, I just won the world rowing indoor rowing championships in the 50 plus class. I, you know, won by about five or six seconds. And the guy yeah. in the 40 plus class also was on a carnivore diet. He won his class and the, the top guy in the U S rowing national team, which is incredible amounts of, uh, you know, uh, aerobic output is the fastest guy on the team right now. And so I think there's, you know, more stuff coming out beyond this stuff. But, but again, at the same time, I do think, you know, if you want, if you want to be in a caloric surplus, it's harder to do that on meat. I mean, I can eat, I can eat five, six pounds in a day and that's pretty, that's pushing it. That's pushing it for me. And I'm, you know, I'm still 245 or so. We had a gal on the show, Molly Schuyler, who's a competitive eater. And I don't know how the hell she does it, but she's, she's eating 22 pounds in one sitting about 20. Yeah. And, and the restaurant ran out of food. I mean, basically, <laughs> I'm sure she could put Ryan Shaw to shame. You know, it's just funny to see this sort of stuff. So it's kind of, I just think we're learning so much. And, and, and but, at the, but at the end of the day, I think my message is, and I think, you know, hopefully more and more people understand it, that red meat is not some awful food that we should fear, but we should embrace it and utilize it because I think it's so effective. I mean, at the end of the day, I've operated on a lot of people standing. You cut people open, they're made out of red meat. I can tell you that. We're red meat animals. And you think about what's going to build red meat muscle, in my view, you're, you know, you're eating a lot of that stuff. But, but let's, let's continue the conversation. Great stuff. I'm, I'm really learning a lot, Stan. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I've read a lot of the research, and, and we've mentioned some of the names of the people, I think, recently who have put forth some, some really fantastic research. And, uh, you know, it was the nurses' study, the polyp study, uh, the Women's Health Initiative, a lot of this stuff that, um, that Nina Teicholz puts out, uh, you know, and there's many others. But, and it's important to mention that research, because otherwise people will call you Mr. Bro Science. But after 30 years of, of training at a very high level and coaching great athletes and now thousands of, of dad bods and soccer moms all over the world, I continue to see, uh, as you would expect, um, anybody's diet, they would get feedback and, and positive testimonials. Um, but I continue to see a significant change in people's lives when they switch uh, to red meat. Generally, it's from egg whites and some other source that's terribly micronutrient deficient. And, uh, you know, more recently, I had a, a really high level senior CrossFit competitor, a female who's a registered dietitian who trains athletes and does diets for them. Uh, her herself, which is not uncommon, was experiencing um, significant performance problems, digestion problems, and really hadn't focused on herself. And I've been to many, many uh, doctors and coaches over the years to have them help me straighten myself out at times because we tend to, to not be very good at, at analyzing our own uh, problems. Uh, and the list is, is endless. I, I obviously, Flex Wheeler was a huge uh, part of that uh, in terms of training Eddie Cohn and Mark Bell. But, uh, in terms of uh, nutrition, Dave Palumbo worked with me uh, one time and uh, Chris Aceto. Uh, uh, I worked with him indirectly through another 
athlete. But the list goes on and on of people that I've asked for help over the years and professionals and, and um, my blood tests I would take into, you know, I've been to at least a dozen different HRT doctors over the years to, to work through some of those issues. And, and ultimately they end up asking me a lot of questions as well, because I have the experience in, in a field that, that they don't necessarily have experience in as competitive athletics in many cases. And uh, so with this CrossFit competitor, uh, just by, she had had convinced herself, like many of us do, from you know the prevailing wisdoms and, and all of the, the bogus uh, research that's out there, um, that she shouldn't be consuming additional salt or red meat uh, or fruit. Um, and her performance suffered horrendously, and she had very bad IBS digestion problems. Many of my athletes did, and, and you as a practitioner know, and I've seen, um, that the vast majority of the people we deal with have digestion problems. It's very common, um, and that becomes one of the first things that you should, you should address, because you aren't what you eat, you're what you digest and absorb. And if, if that's an issue, I've got to take a step back and solve that first, but uh, particularly when people ha end up with autoimmune problems, you, you have to step way back and try and get in front of those. And I'm not claiming that my diet cures cancer or anything like that. that that's not where I'm headed with this. I'm saying that as an individual, they need to address that problem first. And whether that means going to a doctor and getting medication, if they've got some sort of problem that warrants it or changing their diet uh, and, and just wiping the slate clean from all these preconceived notions. Um, when I got more salt, into their diet, when I got more red meat into her diet in particular, uh, her energy level skyrocketed, her strength went up. I also found that she was significantly overtraining, uh, which generally happens with women. They tend to way overtrain, waking up too early in the morning, losing sleep, um, amenorrhea, uh, you know, cessation of the menstrual period, for those who are unaware, uh, generally happens with excessive activity. Um, for like marathon runners, et cetera, particularly women, iron deficiency. Um, and uh, iodine deficiency was a huge one as well for these athletes who, who have more endurance training or more sweat loads, such as um, CrossFitters and the like. And when you remedy just a few what seem like simple things, nothing I propose in my diet is magic. Um, there's no, uh, I can't say anything that, I will say that many things can be life-changing, uh, but they're so simple. Uh, there's no pill, powder, or potion involved in my program uh, that, I, that I sell or endorse. Uh, unless you've got a micronutrient deficiency you can't remedy, such as vitamin D3 and potentially magnesium and maybe some DEA or, or uh, EPA, DHA from krill oil, which I you know, initially recommend some servings of salmon. I see that you're a big fan of salmon and I constantly see it on your plate as well. Uh, and the primary driver for that is, in my mind, is your omega-3s and um, potentially some added potassium. But when I remedy those problems, uh, just as an N of one and, uh, you know, from testimonials from, from the people that I work with, uh, irrespective of the research, it's life-changing. It really, really is life-changing. And it, it, that's so rewarding for someone who spent his entire life chasing my own personal goals to see other people be able to go from, you know, a 20-plus year career. I mean, Ryan Shaw was a four-time world's strongest man uh, and came to me kind of at the end of his rope with multiple injuries, uh, horrendous digestion problems, uh, a significantly uh, uh, 
more body fat than he had ever had historically. Uh, I think he just put up a video recently or something talking about his DEXA scan after the Arnold, or after the Arnold this year, where he had put on, uh, I think, 14 pounds of muscle since last year and, and lost uh, body fat. So when I see those things happening, I, that is extremely rewarding. And, I, and I'm, it's probably the biggest driver now for why I do what I do is to get these testimonials. I post them on my site daily. I get emails and DMs just like you do. And I see them on your site. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not just about performance. Uh, performance is a side effect of good health. And I said that in my video on uh, if you want to be healthy, don't compete. I understand that there's a yin and a yang there between competing and health. And, uh, you know, at times I'm just trying to manage the, the damage. Uh, and then with other folks, I'm really trying to change their lives in terms of, uh, of some of the, the, the uh, maybe age-related or fat-related or, or lack of activity-related uh, pathologies they've accumulated and have considered just to be kind of their condition, whether or not they're taking medication for it and think that that's a lifetime thing. Um, you know, I would, I would never propose that my diet was intended to uh, cure any of these things, but the goal should be uh, to be proactive rather than reactive. The goal should be to get off the medication. And that's not a prescription, but to say, work with your doctor uh, to see if, if you can start, uh, you know, slowly or quickly, uh, you know, remedying the symptoms that cause you to have to take medication. And I've seen many, 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 many clients do that, including getting off of statins, including getting off of blood pressure medication, uh, getting off of um, acid, acid reflux medication, uh, you name it, the list goes on. Thyroid medication, uh, all of those things can potentially uh, be eliminated with the right uh, health uh, plan. You know, that includes sleep, hydration, nutrition. Obviously, it's a, a holistic approach uh, or a comprehensive approach. So uh, that, that's kind of what I focus on. Thank you for tuning in to part one of our interview with Stan Efferding. Stan was kind enough to give us a whole nother hour of content, so please stay tuned for the release of part two of this interview with Stan the Rhino Efforting. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.